Well, good morning, church. So I want to take you back. Let's go back to sixth grade. Everyone go back to sixth grade. For some of you, it's a quick journey. For the rest of us, it's a long time ago. Sixth grade, you got it? Summer camp. It's the end of the summer, and so I was reminded, talked to some people that went to summer camp. Do you remember summer camp? How many of you went to summer camp as a kid? Come on, raise your hand. Summer camp. Sixth grade. Why did I go to summer camp? Two things you got to do at summer camp. Shoot a 22 rifle and rappel off a 100-foot cliff. Sign me up. We don't give 22 rifles to kids anymore, but we should. We should. It was a good thing. We'd be excited about shooting these rifles and rappelling down the wall. And then at the end of the week, if you successfully did all the little training for the rappelling, you know, uh, they would let you go down the whole hundred feet, right? And of course, the way that the instructors did this with the end of the week, they would be all hooked up and harnessed in and the instructors would, these are like 22 year old guys, right? They would run and they would do the Aussie rappel. You know what that is? You know what the Aussie rappel is? Where you just run and jump off the cliff and land somewhere on the rock. And we were like, oh my gosh, that is so cool. What do you want to do with your life? Be a camp counselor forever, that's right. That was like the career goal when you're 12. I want to be that when I'm 22, right? I want to do that. That was just life plans. But I remember the safety instructions were always the longest part of summer camp, right? You had to go through the safety instructions. How many of you remember the safety instructions? Come on, yeah, we remember it. Okay, when it was just the obstacle course or when it was like Nerf archery, they didn't really care, right? The instructors were like, yeah, don't sprain your ankle, whatever. But when it came to the 22 rifle, they're like, hey, everybody, sit down, put your, put your, Sit, quit fighting with each other. Sit down. Put your hands on your, sit on your hands. Listen up. This is a rifle. Don't, quit pointing it at your friends. Stop it right now, right? That's what was going on, right? Quit punching each other, right? And then they were like, then when you went to the rappelling, they're like, hey, this is a harness, and this will save your life, and you have to wear this right. And then they would hold up a carabiner. How, how many of you ever had a carabiner? Come on. And they would say, this is Mr. Carabiner. Mr. Carabiner is precious. Mr. Carabiner is your friend. You will guard with your life Mr. Carabiner all week. Because if Mr. Carabiner gets a crack in it, you are putting all your weight on it. And if it gets a crack in it, if you drop it and it falls, guess what happens? You die. Crack kills. That was the lesson. Crack kills. <laughs> that was the moral of the story. So if you drop... If you drop your carabiner, we have to buy another carabiner. If you drop your carabiner and you do not let us know and you fall off the cliff and die, well, then summer camp doesn't exist anymore. Summer camps get really expensive if Billy's not here next year. Hello? So if you're going to hang off this 100-foot cliff with all your weight on it, you've got to have a belay. You've got to have someone down there, all right? You've got to be paying attention. You've got to loop your harness in a way that matters, right? You remember this? You gotta turn your D. Remember the harness was a D? And you gotta turn it into what? What do you, does anyone remember? You gotta turn it into a C for clothes, right? Do you remember this? Just me, okay, very good. Thanks for leaving me alone. All right, if you don't double back your carabiners a D, D is for die, die, die. C is for close, 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 okay? Turn your D into a C. And I was like, that's what I'm trying to do in school all the time. Turn my D into a C. How many of you are with me? Come on. Come on, friends. Yeah. Right? I mean, who wouldn't praise God when he takes a D and makes it into a C? Okay? Someone say, and this is really true. This is really true, right? They would teach us this stuff at rifle, little rifle, little rifle classes and your carabiner classes and your jump off the cliff classes. They would teach it like your life depends upon it. Someone say that. Like your life depends upon it. Come on, someone say, I need more than one person. Come on. You know, you get up here and you try when someone just sits there like a lifeless log, huh? <laughs> I remember my dad would always say to me, John, in high school, he'd always say, John, I need you to study like your life depends upon it. And I didn't. The only day I studied was when my report card came home. Turn it over a new leaf, Dad. <laughs> he never bought it. Because in high school, I cared about athletics, girls, and athletic girls. That was it. That's all I cared about. 
And I've said this story before, but two days before I went to college, my dad said, if you go to college and you don't study like your life depends on it, you're going to be living home with me under my roof, my rules, and I'm an Air Force colonel, and you know what that's like. And you'll be going to San Antonio Community College. So I went to Southwest Texas, and I studied like my life depended upon a dean's list the entire four years I was there. Not because I was smart. I didn't want to live at home. I didn't want to live at home. Are you kidding me? Like my life depended upon, I studied. First semester I got dean's list, my dad didn't believe me. He takes the report card. He's like, did you forge this? <laughs> yes, dad, that's what I did. So he goes and call. I remember he called the school. Yes, I'm trying to confirm that this report card's legit. Social security number is, well, I'm like, really, really? He's like, well, you never studied like this before. Like your life depends, I wanted freedom. Okay, there are certain things the Bible says, and we're beginning this series today, like your life depends upon it. And there are certain things the Bible says you got to do, and you got to do it like your life depends on it, because it does, it does. All right, 1 Peter chapter 4, and this is actually from the message, uh, from the message. It says, therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can do what, church? So you can? pray. Above all, love each other deeply because what? Love does what? What does it say, church? Covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he's received to do what? To, to just be gifted? No. To give it away, to serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace in various forms. If anyone speaks, this is challenging, you should do it as you're speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and praise forever and ever. Amen? And then verse 12, it says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice, right? How many of us do that when we suffer? Rejoice that you get to participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed, right? This is what Peter's saying, like your life depends upon it. When you're seeing someone swimming and they're not doing so well, right? They're not doing so well and they're in the river, what do you say? Swim, swim like your... All right, I got four of you now. All right, you're in a fight and you get knocked down and you hear people saying, come on, get up and fight like your... All right, that's what Peter is saying here. Come on, you got to do this. And he's going to give a few things to us that we're just going to cover two of them today, but we're going to be covering more of them in the series of we've got to do it like our life depends upon it. And you can actually see what he's talking about because he's picking up on things that Jesus taught. Because Jesus taught about life, and he taught about life in two different ways. He talks about this in John chapter 10. You want to know about Jesus, read the Gospel of John. It's the gospel to know about Jesus. John chapter 10, Jesus says, and he's talking about the enemy, the thief, the devil. He says, you know, there's a force in the world. We call him the thief, the devil. And he does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now, that's true biologically, and it's also true supernaturally. The devil wants to keep you from the full life that God intends for you, okay? The devil would love for you to make foolish decisions that would cause your life to end prematurely. That's very true. But Jesus says this, I have come, right, that you would have life, that you may actually live. And not only that, that you would have it abundantly, right? One translation says that you would have life to the full, that you'd be overflowing. He wants you to be alive, but he really wants you to be alive. Now, in the Greek, there are two words that Jesus uses. There's one word called bios, and there's one word called zo. And bios is just like biological life, okay? Bios is your life. So everyone check your pulse right now. Go ahead, check your pulse. Because I'm not sure for some of you right now. You've been sitting here and preaching to you is not great, okay? It's not great, okay? Because I'm not sure you're alive. So are you alive? If you're alive, say amen. amen. All right, very good. You're good. Now, some of you are pushing really hard. Don't push too hard, okay? But that's biological life. You've got a heartbeat. You've got breath in your lungs. You've got a pulse. You're alive. That's not the kind of life Jesus is talking about. Jesus came to give you zoe. 
And Zoe is what he came to give us, not just to those, you know, so that you can be alive, but so that you can really have supernatural life. The kind of life that can forgive, the kind of life that can be generous, the kind of life that can love, the kind of life that you go, oh my gosh, I wish my life was like that. Okay? So Jesus gives us, obviously, bio, but he wants to really give us Zoe. Some of you, everyone in this room, I hope, has some bio going on right now, okay? But a lot of you don't have the Zoe. Seriously. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you need some Zoe. Go ahead, do that. You need some Zoe. Come on. Say it like you mean it. You're like, you need some Zoe, man. So Jesus said, I want you to have abundant life. I want it to overflow. I want your life to be full. And Peter here is describing some things that if you do these things, if you take this series seriously, if you take it as seriously as I do in preparing for this series, as I do in preparing the message, 25 hours a week, friends, okay? If you take it that seriously, your life will be full. Your life will overflow. You will have some zone. Trust me, okay? So you will grow. So I'm going to give you a couple areas. The first area, and man, I've been doing it this week. I've been trying to limit my news intake because every time I watch the news, uh, my blood pressure goes up. And I'm at the gym, and I'm working out, and I'm like, okay, my heart rate should be up, but it's up even more. And so you know what I've been doing. So what have I been doing? And what Peter says, the very first thing he says you should do, like your life depends upon it, pray. Pray like your life depends on it, because it does. And Scripture says, let your prayers be fervent, okay? In the Greek, fervent means white hot. That is, that is like it is glowing. It's that hot, Okay, it's that, that's what your prayer life should be like. Okay, raise your hand and say, if you can say this, man, my prayers are white hot. Anyone here? Anyone? Okay, there's four of you. The rest of you see these four. Now, that's the opposite of my prayers are phoned in. That's the opposite of, I'm just gonna passively spit out something. That's the opposite of I'm on cruise control. That's the opposite of my prayer life's like a Tesla that drives itself, okay? That is the opposite, because if you just let your prayer life go, if you just let it be status quo, you're like this. Well, I pray the Lord, my soul to keep, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. (laughs) What, did you just mix a nursery rhyme into your prayer to God? Did you just do, are you mixing? What? Did you just sample a nursery rhyme? Because you can just say it and it just babbles out. It just comes out without thinking. And, and we're meant to pray. Now, here's the interesting thing. Jesus said, don't just do vain repetition. Don't just say the same prayer over and over again. Don't just spout off stuff. Think about what you're praying. And Jesus basically says, hey, look, pray while you pray. Pray while you pray. You've got to mix up your prayer life. If you always pray in your head, like silently, pray aloud. This week, I've been praying aloud in the shower. I'm praying. Renee's like, who are you talking to? I said, the Lord. She goes, you are so weird. I said, you knew that when you married me. If you always pray aloud, write down your prayers. Start prayer journaling. If you always pray on your knees, pray while you walk. If you always pray while you walk, pray on your knees sometimes. You've got to mix it up. You've got to keep it fresh. Pray favorably. I like how verse 7 in the, in the Passion puts it uh, in the message. Be intentional, be purposeful, and be self-controlled so that you can be given into prayer. In one part of the New Testament, Paul says, I want you to pray without ceasing. And I like it that because if you look at the actual Greek, what he really says, right, it doesn't mean constantly occurring. It means constantly reoccurring, reoccurring. Meaning it happens and it stops, it happens, it stops. Kind of like, have you, how, many of you, uh, how many of you have a text message conversation with other people? How many of you text here on the phone? Uh, the rest of you are lying. Apparently you don't text. Okay, that's great. Okay. But how many of you text somebody where there's never a hello or never a goodbye? Right? Okay. Because you know when you're talking to someone, sometimes people, when you text certain people, you're like, okay, there needs to be a hello, there needs to be like uh, three sentences, a concluding sentence, and a goodbye, and a who I am, and that's, that's, one, that's one kind of conversation you might have texting somebody. But there's another kind of conversation, like the conversation I have with my wife, where I don't need to go, hi, this is John. <laughs> she knows who I am. I don't need to introduce myself. 
You don't need to introduce yourself to God. So it's an ongoing, and I don't ever conclude, well, see you later, have a nice day. I'm gonna see her later, unless I'm, I'm not, and then I'm in trouble. I'm gonna see her later, so I don't need to say that. The same is true with God. It's just this conversation. It's an ongoing dialogue with God. It's not like, well, we'll see you next Sunday, God. See you later. That's not the idea. Well, I came to church and prayed so that I'm done. I'm good for the week or I'm, I'm done with my little quiet time and so I'll wait for another 24 hours to talk to God. That's not praying fervently. That's phoning it in. Are you with me, church? Hello? Okay, so it's an ongoing conversation. It's an ongoing. It's sort of like, how many of you have ever been talking on your phone, and it's Bluetooth, right? And this happened to me this summer uh, before my son took my Jeep, uh, anyhow, to college. But when I had my Jeep, I was Bluetooth, and I'm having a conversation, and Renee is driving another car, and it gets close to me, and all of a sudden, my Bluetooth switches over to her car. And so I'm having this conversation with this person, and all of a sudden, I, I hear silence, and I hear Renee going, uh, who are you talking to? I'm like, what am I doing talking to you? You're not, you're not even on the phone. My phone switched over to her Bluetooth. It was awkward, very awkward. And I can get you in trouble. If you're cheating on someone, don't get too close to your spouse's Bluetooth. <laughs> That'll get you in trouble right there, okay? Anyhow, but I'm just saying it's an ongoing conversation. And, and in fact, the Scripture says you should pray so you don't. It's so amazing. The Scripture says so you don't faint so you don't faint. The idea is that praying is the opposite of fainting. The idea is that it occurred to us that we'll be weak if we do not pray. Or you could put it this way, we are weak because we don't pray. Hello? Check your, check your Zoe. You got any Zoe? Check your bios, friends. Hello? Hello? <laughs> I was listening to a, a podcast and it was all about prayer and this preacher was talking about, he said, you know, if we could see what would happen when we pray, we would hardly do anything but pray. That prayer moves the hand of God. Prayer causes things to change. Angels are dispatched when we pray. You think about this. Every prayer, it's not like your prayers hit the ceiling. Every prayer goes to God. Every prayer is heard. Everything, God hears everything. Now, sometimes God doesn't answer them the way we want. Sometimes God answers in a way we don't understand. Sometimes he says no, slow, grow. He says a lot of things, but every prayer is heard and answered. Hello? So keep on praying. Keep on praying. It gives you strength. It helps you not to faint. Verse 3, we didn't read it today, but Peter actually talks about a list of sins. And he goes through this list of sins, and I'm going to read this for you, that can happen if you don't give your life to God. He says, you gave enough time before you gave your life to Jesus to these things, Peter says, debauchery and lust and drunkenness and orgy, carousing and detestable idolatry. That's putting anything above God. He said, you've spent enough time messing with the stuff before you gave your life to Jesus. Why are you still messing with that stuff? And here and now, I believe he is all those things in mind. He brings up the subject of prayer. So what's the point? The point of praying without ceasing is the key to unlocking power for, you know, unclean living. If you have some unclean living, you need to pray, Okay. You need to pray. You want to live a pure life, you've got to have some prayer. And that's where God gives us the ability. If every time you're tempted to do something wrong, you pray, trust me, you will not do what is wrong. You pray. You go to a prayer partner. You call someone. It's the same thing. In AA, you feel like having a drink, call your sponsor. What do you think that is? That's a prayer. That's a prayer. Hello? Check your Zoe, friends. Is, is anyone alive today? Check your pulse. This isn't nap time. I have honestly found in my life, when I pray without ceasing, it becomes a correction for sinful choices I might have choose. I heard one pastor put it this way. Don't, just don't do anything you couldn't do while you simultaneously pray. Does that clear it up there? If you couldn't watch that movie and pray, don't watch that movie and pray. If, you, if, if, you're, if you're out on a date and you shouldn't be doing that, single people in the room, okay, uh, and you shouldn't be doing that on a date, uh, then maybe you shouldn't, you know, if you can't pray while you're doing that on the date, maybe you shouldn't be doing it. Now, I had said this to one single person, and they go, well, I was just praying in tongues. 
That's funny. You got to think about that, but some of you need to check your pulse. But anyhow, <laughs> Renee's like, you're not going to say that, are you? Yes. I, I. So this week, you know, it's a tough, difficult week, and now we've got our neighbors in Louisiana facing another hurricane on the same day Katrina came. We know what hurricanes are like. We know the destruction. We know the devastation they're facing. So we're praying that that is light, that there's not a loss of life, that that storm dissipates quickly. Amen. Yes, we're praying. So all week I've been praying, praying for our government, praying for our troops, praying for those who are in harm's way, praying for the situation in Afghanistan. And I've been praying with my feet. I've been making phone calls. We are working with the Refugee Services of Texas. We're working with Church World Services. I've partnered with a sister church in Shepherd of the Hills in Austin because there's going to be 200 Afghan families coming to Austin region. You, right now, they're on military bases, but you will have an opportunity as a church to plug in and help if you want to help to do something to bless lives that will never bless you back, if you want to do that. If you don't, that's okay, but we're going to do something as a church, so you'll be hearing more about that. I've been working on it. We're meeting as a group this week, so just want to throw that in. And I've been praying about that. And this week, I've been walking. I've been walking as I pray. This, that's been my focus. So I walk my little dog, my beautiful dog, Lexi, who knows nothing of the world's problems, who really just cares what everything smells like. That's all she cares about, all right? <laughs> so I've been walking her, and I've been praying, and I've been praying out loud, which makes my neighbors think I'm weird, but I really don't care. That's why none of my neighbors are here. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> that's the truth. Uh, Sometimes they come, uh, every once in a while. And I was walking Lexi, and I'm, I'm praying, and I'm praying out loud. I'm like, please, God, help me. You know, please, God, give me the strength. You know, please, God, help me on Sunday know what the heck I should say to my church. You know, what, what do I say? And I'm praying, and God says to me, God speaks back. Because here's the thing. When you pray to God, it's like a conversation. Sometimes God will speak back. And God says, pay attention to this little kid walking down the street. And I'm like, huh? And all of a sudden, I see this little kid, and he's walking down the street, and he's carrying his bike. He's carrying his bike down the street. And I'm like, why should I pay attention? And God says, pay attention. So the kid is walking past me, and he's like, oh, that's a cute dog. And he's carrying his bike. And I go, son, why, why are you carrying your bike? And he goes, well, there's something wrong with the chain. Can you fix it? Do these look like mechanical hands? Do these look like they've ever had grease on them? I'm like, now I'm really praying. Because this little kid, it's like six years old, can you fix it? What am I going to say to that? Uh, I'm like, of course. Please, Lord, please, Lord, please help me. Please, Lord, please, Lord. I look down at the chain. It's not turning. It's not turning. And there's a twig stuck in the chain. There's a twig. I'm a twig remover. <laughs> Spin it around. Oh, my gosh, my bike works. Thank you, mister. And he's looking at me like I'm Andy Griffin. <laughs> no problem, son. If you need anything else fixed, just come to me. Oh, my gosh, I swore I heard music playing, angels singing. I did a little dance when he walked away. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I know I can't dance, but I did it anyway. So he goes pedaling. He's pedaling down the street. He's happy. And then I'm like, God, why did you want me to pay attention? I just, I mean, it's a twig. It's a twig. Is that why I'm here, to remove the twigs? And God spoke to me, and I want to share what God said, because it's not any good if I don't share it. And God said to me, John, you, you need to remember, don't carry what's supposed to carry you. The kid's carrying a bike. The bike's supposed to carry him. You're carrying all these burdens. You're carrying all this stuff, and you're trying to do it all by yourself, and I'm meant to carry you, John, so why are you trying to carry me? Hello? You see these prayers? They, they, they're, on, they're on pieces of paper, and they're... They're pretty light, but man, they're pretty heavy. 
These are pretty heavy. These are people's lives. We have roses on the chair here to remember 13 lives, sons and daughters who don't have the opportunity to be in church today. They're in an eternal church. Don't carry what's supposed to carry you. You don't carry a bike. You let the bike carry you. If you do carry your bike, you're riding it all wrong. So God gave you a bike. Don't try and carry everything, God. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. I've been to church walking my dog. God spoke to me. Burdens, we all got, how many of y'all got burdens? Come on, raise your hand if you got any burdens. The rest of you are lying. We got burdens, finances, strained marriages, broken relationships, emotional trauma, hurricanes, a national crisis. I mean, America is not broken, but we got bruised this week. Failing health, COVID. It's been a rough year and a half, man. It's been a rough two years. And burdens can weigh on you like a wet blanket, sap your joy and strength. You, you wake up, and the first thing on your mind is the burdens. Burdens, they make you feel like you're running a marathon when you're standing in a mud pit. In most cases, we try to sweep our burdens under the rug. We try to forget about them for a while, but they're always there, and we go around carrying them, carrying them, and pretty soon, you're, you're, you're pretty low. You're weighed down. Your back is bent. And God's like, you know, I'm, I'm here to carry them for you, John. And the best way to hand off a heavy burden is to just say, God, I'm in over your head. I'm in over my head. I need help. And just like that kid handed me his bike, and he didn't tell me how to fix it. He just said, can you fix it? Sometimes we got to hand God our lives and say, God, I don't know how to fix this, but you do. Can you fix it? And sometimes it's a simple twig. It's a simple fix that God can do for us. But all the time we're like, this is what we do with God, right? Because a lot of you, I know you, and this is what you're all like. Yeah, I gave Jesus the wheel, like that song. Jesus, take the wheel. Yeah, Jesus, take the wheel. But then you get in the back seat and you're like, Jesus, take a left. Jesus, take a right. Come on, what do you, you're going down the wrong way. Go a little faster, Jesus. Hurry up. And Jesus is looking back. Would you quit backseat praying on me? Come on. Backseat praying is all y'all do. It's why, you know, it's the first step in AA. It's the first step in NA. It is my life's a mess. I can't, I don't know how to ride the bike. I'm trying to carry it. My life's unmanageable. God, I need to give it to you. Help. I don't know what to do. I'm depending upon you. And the world says you got to flex your muscles and you got to be strong. But God says if you want to be powerful, you got to admit first that you're weak, that you're not strong. And this is why men don't like to go to church. This is why nationally, 73% of churches are full of women. Because men are like, well, I'm, I'm not weak. Yes, you are. So this word, you know, my favorite word during my prayer this week was help. That's my profile. That's my, I got a four-year degree from SMU, and that's what I came up with. Help. Help. But it's the most honest prayer. And some, sometimes my prayers are, thank you, God. Wow. Glad you showed up. Thank you, God. And that word help is missing from a lot of our prayers. God wants to carry you. I want to show you a promise today. And if you're online watching, I want to show you this promise because this is why you're watching right now. This is why you're in church right now. Some of you, in just a moment, we're going to show you a scripture and I want you, some of you need to take out your phones and you need to take a picture of it. And some of you need to pray over this verse because this is the verse I've been living with all week. This is a verse after my little dog, Lexi, walking experience. This is what I've been living with. And this is what God says in Isaiah 46. Let's read it together, church. I have cared for you since you were born. This is God speaking to you. Yes, I carried you before you were born. I will be your God throughout your lifetime. Until your hair is white with age, I made you and I will care for you. I will carry you along and save you. If that verse doesn't speak to your heart right now, I don't know what will. God says, I made you. I knew before you were born. I, I, and some of you, you know, you're like me. You put a little touch of gray in there, but we know it's gray underneath. Come on. And God says, I've been carrying you yesterday. I'm going to carry you today. I'm going to carry you tomorrow. So why are you trying to carry me? Why are you trying to walk down the street with a bike? 
Some of you need to write that down. Some of you need to pray over that verse. Some of you need to just let that verse marinate in your soul this week. So sometimes, like, we let God carry us, but then what do we do? We're like a little kid. We start squirming. I want to get out of these arms. They're too controlling. I want freedom. The Bible says, cast your cares on him, not carry your cares for him. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Casting in the scripture is a violent word, right? Have you ever been fishing with a guide and they go cast over there and you go boom? And they go, let me cast for you. Has this never happened to anyone? No. Oh, oh, come on. This is my kind of guide. They, they put the fish on the hook for you, the bait. I don't like doing that. That looks horrible. They cast it out for you. They hook the fish, they start reeling it in, and then they go, here, take it. And you go, I caught it. Casting is, you got to really cast it. You have to do it. Daniel was cast into prison. Jonah was cast into the sea. John the Baptist was cast into prison. The devil, it says, will be cast into the lake of fire. You and I are to cast our burdens upon the Lord. Psalm 55. We cannot, but God can. Hello? Check your zoe. Hello? Amen? Check your pulse. Are you all still alive? All right. When Renee and I went to Uri, Colorado this summer, I love Uri, Colorado. We stayed in this amazing place. We stayed in a new place. We like to stay in a new place. There's, there's a lot of little condos and resorts there. You can stay there. And there's this little beautiful hotel. And, um, and right behind it, there's this beautiful, uh, the uh, Umpridge River runs through there. It's gorgeous, and you just go out and literally on your deck, and the river's right there, which is amazing. And um, we actually met the owner of the place, the hotel, and he's from San Antonio, so we had a connection there. And then he found out I'm a pastor. We had a connection there. And so he's like, I'm going to put you in the holy room. And now I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is that? <laughs> I've heard of the honeymoon suite. I've not heard of a holy room. That, looks, that scares me, right? But, like, Renee's like, really? you got to tell him you're a pastor, really, all the time on vacation. I'm, what do you want me to do? So we get the holy room. And, so we, and, and I go, what's the holy room? He goes, oh, there's just a lot of scripture, a lot of pictures on the wall, you know. So there's Jeremiah 29, 11, right? I, the, I, I know the plans I have for you, the plans to prosper you. And there's all these different, you know, scripture and paintings and everything. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. This is, I like this room. It's cool. And then I go into the bathroom. And, of course, there is the obligatory uh, bathroom, uh, you know, scripture, but it's not scripture, it's the poem, and it's from the 1970s. My mom gave it to me when I was a kid. You know it. We've heard it. Footprints in the sand. Oh, yes. How many of you have seen Footprints in the Sand, huh? Yeah, you've read this, right? And there's a lot of different versions out there, right? And it goes like this. One night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each scene, I noticed footprints in the sand, right? And sometimes there were two sets of footprints. Other times there was only one. And this bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life, when I was suffering from anguish, sorrow, defeat, I could only see one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, you promised me, Lord, that if I followed you, you'd walk with me always. But I've noticed that during the most trying times of my life, there's only one set of footprints in the sand. Why, when I need you the most, have you not been there for me? And, of course, in the poem, the Lord replies, the years when you've seen only one set of footprints, my child, is when I what? When I carried you. Yeah. And the image of God carrying us is a strong, visceral image, and I've been talking about it. And it's a wonderful image. It's comforting. It's encouraging. And I think that appeals to everybody, and that's why the poem is so popular, and that's why it's hanging on the bathroom in the wall on Ure, Colorado. But as I'm standing there, contemplating life and theology, I said to myself, you know, this poem actually needs some correcting. I would change this poem. Now, it's not going to sell. No one's going to buy my version of it. But, but you're here, so I'm going to share it, whether you want to hear it or not. Here you go. I think, because it actually has bad theology, I think it should be this. I think there should just be one set of footprints all the time, and they belong to Jesus, and he's carrying you all the time. Amen? Okay? But here's the real poem. Here's how it goes in our real life. God carries us for a while, and then what do we do? We do this. Uh, God, I got this. I'm good. Put me down. I can walk. I'm big enough now. I'm a big boy. God, put me down. 
I don't wear uh, the Spider-Man underwear anymore. Put me down, God. But then what happens? We get in a little trouble and we're like, uh, God, please pick me up. Pick me up now, please, God. Please start carrying me again. Oh, God, I'm fine. Put me down again. Put me down. Because we don't want to be carried all the time. We, uh, just, you know, we just want to call on God when we need him, and then we're like, see this all the time with families and funerals. Oh, yeah, let's just call on God. And then it's God's good. I know, we're, we're back to it. We're good. So Jesus didn't talk about life that way with him. That's why Jesus says, again, in John, the Gospel of John, read the Gospel of John. John 15, he says, you know what? I'm the vine and you're the branches. If any man remains in me, he'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, guess what you can do? Nothing. So we rely on him for everything. So quit trying to give Jesus a wheel and then drive from the back seat. Remain connected all the time. Let him carry you all the time. That's the way it's meant to be. And we have to give God our brokenness and pain. Don't try and carry your pain. Give it to the one who can carry you, including your pain. That's why we had you come up and bring some of your pain and put it down here on the altar. Because this is where it gets lifted by God. And it's not like there's a weight limit. It's not like God says, well, that's too much for me. Have you ever had someone say that to you? That's just too much for me. But God never says that. Life hurts. It's hard sometimes, oftentimes, amen? And I like how J. Vernon McGee put it. He said, the Christian life is a banquet, but it's no picnic. And I love the idea of a banquet because you know what? It's a party and everyone's invited and we got to make the table bigger and we welcome everyone who welcomes everyone. And when, you know, someone is saved and someone comes to the faith, the angels celebrate and the fatted calf is slain and we all celebrate and that's a wonderful image. But let's face it, life sometimes is hard. And, give, and, and living for Jesus sometimes is not easy. Right? Turn the other cheek? I don't want to turn the other cheek. I want to hit and strike back. Anyone with me? <laughs> and give your pain to God like your life depends upon it. Because it does. Because you're not meant to carry it. God can redeem your suffering. You know, let me say it this way. Walking with Jesus and walking without Jesus are both hard. But it's better to walk with Jesus in the hard times. If life's going to be hard either way, right? I mean, come on. You live long enough, you're going to have suffering in your life. And hard things are going to happen either way. But give your pain to God. Don't carry what's meant to carry you. And do that like your life depends on it, because it does. Secondly, and I know it's already 12.02. I see you out there. You're not checking your pulse. You're checking your watch. 12.02. He's only on point one. What? This is forever. Check your pulse. Check your zoe. You want some zoe? Here we go. Your people. You got to approach your people like your life depends upon it because it does. Now, what are you going to do if you treat people the right way? And here's what the scripture says. You're going to love them how, church? You're going to love them Deeply, not superficially, not artificially, you're going to love them deeply. The Bible actually says, above all, love them deeply. Above all, love each other deeply because why? Because love does what? It does what? It covers a multitude of sins versus exposes a multitude of sins, right? And Peter's actually quoting from the book of Proverbs because they had the Old Testament, right? And he's quoting the 10th chapter, verse 9. And he says, offer hospitality to each other without grumbling. Now, here's what you have to know. In our, in our time, it's different. But in biblical times, communities were spread apart. And so when you were traveling, there wasn't the Red Roof Inn or the Best Western. So he, what he was advocating and what the early church did was Christians would add rooms in their house. This is before Aaron B. was cool. And they would add rooms in their house and they would say, honey, this room is for Christians that are traveling through and we're going to offer hospitality to them without grumbling. And which is why I'm trying and I'm working on it. I'm going to try to have our church, at least for a few months, sponsor a family from Afghanistan without grumbling. Can you imagine coming to another country with your shirt on your back and you have nothing? You don't know the language, the culture, jobs. Can you imagine what they're facing? 
Hello? So, Paul says, be intentional, love each other deeply, build another room in your house. And I don't know if you're with me, guys, but have you ever told your wife, hey, my friend's coming over to stay for a little while, he's going through some hard times. My wife go, what? You like being married? But love each other deeply. And love covers a multitude of sins. Let people get close to you. And when that happens, don't expose their sins for the rest of the world to see, right? Because when you love someone deeply, what happens? People get naked. The number one nightmare pastors have, I don't have this nightmare. The number one nightmare pastors have is they're actually standing naked in front of their congregation. It's a nightmare for me, trust me. My number one nightmare, it's interesting, I'm always standing in front of you and I can't find my sermon notes. I don't know what to say. Can you imagine me not knowing what to say? That's my nightmare. I'm always like, where's my notes? Where's my stuff? So when you get close to someone and you're loving someone deeply, don't be like, oh my gosh, you need prayer. Right? The easiest thing to do is, and just think about this, the easiest thing for us to do is to shame somebody instead of love someone. And tell me how much change has brought about by shame. When have you shamed someone into change? So give each other space to grow. Love covers a multitude of sins. Here's what I believe. Good people bring out the good in people. I believe that. So you encourage each other through prayer and not through gospel. And you, and you go through struggles together. And love is not something really we give or get. It is something that we nurture and grow, a connection that can only be cultivated between two people when it exists between each of them. We can only love each other and love the other as much as we love ourselves. So if you haven't received God's love, you can't give it. So you've got to receive it first. Let me tell you about Al Nixon. Al Nixon's one of my heroes. He's from St. Petersburg, Florida. He sits on a park bench, and he does impromptu therapy sessions now, he's not a trained therapist. Actually, he worked for the city uh, department for water in St. Petersburg, Florida. But in the early morning hours, he began going to a bench because he wanted to be fevered about prayer. He wanted to be white hot about prayer. So he went to this bench to talk about God. And then God began putting people next to him on the bench who needed to talk to him about God. And so one of his regulars, a gal named Renee Roostein, says, I don't feel weird sharing secrets with this man I don't know because why? He never judges me. He doesn't shame me. He just loves me because love covers a multitude of sins. Burnett Dorsett Mills, another regular, says, I've never met a wiser man. He's like a guiding force. People are having church on a park bench. Why? Because he's not judgmental. When you look at this story, this is actually on Steve Hartman. It's a, it's a great, you ought to watch Steve Hartman on CBS. He's got really good stories. But he talks about how the number one thing Nixon does is listen. Listening is the number one skill all mankind needs to know how to do very well. And we don't listen very well. When Nixon started coming to the bench, he said there, seven years ago he came there for therapy, a place to clear his head. But then one woman met him and said something he'll never forget. He, she said, every day I see you, I know things are going to be okay because I know you're talking to God. And people pick up on that. He's in such high demand that people actually line up to wait to speak to him. Dorset Mills says, when I walk by, sometimes I don't even get a chance to chat with him because there's other people waiting in line. In appreciation for him, all of his regulars put together a plaque on the bench, and it says, a loving and loyal friend and confident to many forever and always. Because he loves people, and love covers a multitude of sins. And why do people line up for that? They line up for that because that's what our culture needs. That's what we need. That's the purpose of the church. So you have fellowship. So you have somebody in here who loves you, who's not going to shame you. Nothing silences us more effectively than shame. And when Al Nixon gives on the bench is love, not shame. And what God wants us to give each other is love because love covers a multitude of sin and shame. If you want to read about this, read Brene Brown. She writes excellent about this. Brene Brown says, our culture teaches us about shame. It dictates what is acceptable and what is not. We weren't born craving perfect bodies. We weren't born afraid to our tell our stories. We weren't born with a fear of getting too old to feel valuable. 
We weren't born with a Bottery Barn catalog in one hand and heartbreaking debt in the other. Shame comes from outside of us, from the message and expectations of our culture. What comes from inside of us is this very human need to belong and to relate. Amen? You've got to treat each other well. Above all, above all, love. Can you imagine? Above all, that's what they say at your funeral. Above all the things about this person, they loved. Because why? There's other branches that are connected to the same vine, and you need those branches. We need those branches. We need each other to grow. I was reading the New York Times this week, and it was an article I clipped out about a year ago, and it was talking about loneliness in relationship to COVID, right? COVID came, it kind of seemed like it was going away, and now we're back in COVID again. The number one group that's lonely right now are people my son's age, 18 to 24. They're the most vulnerable for loneliness, which is why I text my son and talk to him a lot about this. 60% of college students talk about feeling socially isolated. It's so ironic to me, in a day of social media, we have more connectivity digitally to each other than before, and yet society has created a day-to-day experience where if you don't want to, you don't have to talk to anybody. You can talk to Alexa or Siri, but you don't even gotta talk to anybody else. And then surprise, surprise, we're socially isolated. But that wasn't what the article was about. The article was actually about this, how bad loneliness is on the human body. They have done studies to live socially isolated from other human beings has the exact same impact as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And there's corresponding damage. Loneliness has the exact same toll on your body as being obese or abusing alcohol. All three things we know, like smoking like a chimney, being overweight, drinking excessively. We know that's bad on the liver. We know it's bad on the heart. It's bad on the immune system. But guess what? Loneliness is just as toxic. Which is why you need people. You need someone in this church that you can call at any point, and you know they're not going to shame you. They're going to love you. If you don't have that, I would encourage you to reach out to someone. Let me know, who can I get to pray for me? Who can I get to love me without shame? Who will not expose my sins, but will cover my sins? Hello? Come on, you need someone on the other end of your rope. You need someone on the belay. You need someone in your life encouraging you. Who is checking on your soul? Lots of people want to check on your, on your money, on your car, on your house, on your GPA, on other things. But who's checking on what really matters? Your soul. Who's doing that? And if you can't answer me right now, you need to find someone because you're living socially isolated. Who's encouraging you and speaking life over you? Who's fighting for your soul to thrive? We need each other. That's just the reality. I need your prayers. You need my prayers. We need spiritual admonitions to show hospitality, to give people space and say, hey, I'm here. And when someone's really trusting with you and someone says, hey, this is what's going on in my life, don't go, oh my gosh, are you kidding? I can't wait to share that with everybody. Because love means vulnerability. And vulnerability means you expose where you're weak, where you need help. I love this translation. Most of all, love each other. This is actually from the message. Most of all, love each other as if your life depended upon it, because it does, 1 Peter 4, 8. So I hope you'll take this series seriously. We're going to go through some other things in the next couple weeks that you can do as if your life depends upon it, because it does. Let's pray. God of grace, we come to you with hearts that really are heavy. We, we can't carry uh, the burden and the weight of 13 lives lost tragically this week. We can't carry the burden of an incoming hurricane. We can't carry the burden of our government. We can't carry the burden of failures. We can't do those things. So, God, we give it to you. And we give it to you really, really with the hope and the knowledge. If there's any redeeming grace, I give thanks that we're part of a country that people want to come to. 
that people will flee their homeland from the tyranny of terrorism and the tyranny of repressing women and the tyranny of sending people back to the 7th century, that they want to come here where women are regarded as equal, where women are given opportunities just as men, where we are free to worship today in this space, free to worship. What a privilege that is. Men and women died for that privilege. And that's why people are willing to flee their country with their shirt on their back to come to a place like this. So if there's any saving grace, Lord, help us to hold on to those values in this country that gives people freedom, that gives people rights, that sees everyone as a child of God. Whether they're male or female or child, whatever they are, Lord, see them as a child of God. God, give us strength. We can't carry these burdens. And we're not meant to. So this week, Lord, we cry out help. And that's our prayer. And we need you to lift us and to carry us. We need you to carry this nation. We need you to carry our leaders. We need you to carry this world. So we give it to you, Lord. We lay it at your feet. And we trust that you'll carry us, that you knew us before we were even born, and that you'll carry us even when our hair is white, and you'll carry us in the next life as well. So God, we give to you our lives and our hearts as if it depends upon it because it does. So be with us and bless us as we now pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our day of bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand and praise God.